Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and I'm so excited that you joined me for today's show. We have a guest today who I think is sharing such an important strategy or piece of information that lots of times we as speech-language pathologists don't have, and we certainly don't have this in our wheelhouse of skills as a parent of a child with a developmental disorder, whether it be autism or some severe sensory uh, differences that are really impacting life on a day-to-day basis at home. And so I think this show is just so, so, so important, and I hope that uh, everyone is going to get as much out of it as I know that I'm going to get too. So today we have Jessica, who's an ABA therapist. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Laura. I'm so excited to be on the show. <laughs> I'm so happy that you agreed to be on the show. And Jessica and I were just before the show started in our little five-minute warm-up. Uh, I was recounting how we have connected because I feel like I know you. Now, if you walked in my office right now, I would have no idea who you were. But we've emailed (laughs) enough back and forth, and we were sort of talking about that. Jessica emailed me last year when a therapist was on the show, and she had a really hard kid, and she was talking about how the little boy ran away from her a lot, and I used my knowledge my basic working knowledge of ABA and said hey you know let's look at these reasons for behavior or functions of behavior as ABA people call it and let's kind of talk through this because it's something that I do in my practice just on a day-to-day basis and so we talked about that and then Jessica emailed me and I remember Jessica the first line of your email said something like as an ABA therapist so of course to me I thought well here we go I'm about to get in trouble (laughs) I've said something wrong you know but it wasn't you were saying hey that was that was a good explanation I'm glad you brought that up because lots of speech pathologists don't use this niche that we, we, when you do figure this stuff out and you do say, how can I implement this and apply this, things get a lot better, especially with harder kids that leave you just kind of scratching your head. So that's the first time you email me. And then we've had a couple of other exchanges where it's always, and this is what you just said, it's always when there's a hard kid that the speech pathologist is saying, I don't know why they're doing this. Where, you know, I kind of say, well, let's look at it from this perspective. And then you email me to say, hey, you could try it. She could try this or she could try that. And so I'm so glad you agreed to be on the show today to talk about things we can do beyond looking at those four functions of behavior. And I'm sure that we'll be able to kind of put that together, too. So, Jessica, I'm just going to let you talk about the the strategies that you recommended that we do when we do have a behavior that doesn't seem to make sense. So you just kind of take it away, and I'm going to pop in with questions or, you know, just kind of a natural back and forth slow conversation. But I wanted to get everybody caught up to where we were in our few minutes uh, before the show started. Okay, great. So, um, again, yes, my goal in doing this show today is I really want to teach everyone that's listening, whether you're a parent at home working with your own child or you're a therapist, Um, with a whole caseload of kids or if you're a teacher even in the school setting, um, a really easy and effective way to kind of analyze a child's behavior. Um, Because, I mean, this happens to all of us, right? We walk into a home or we're working with our own kid at home and we're trying to – we have all these goals in mind that we really want to work on with a kid. And then (laughs) – 
you know, they start having behaviors that make it difficult or in some cases even impossible, um, as some people have called in to talk about, um, for us to achieve what we're hoping to achieve from therapy. So um, the first thing I wanted to say is that it's, yeah, exactly. So the first thing I wanted to say is that it's important for us to remember that behavior, problem behaviors, this is how I always think about it. Problem behaviors are a problem for us. But for the child, they're actually a solution to a problem. So the child oh is engaging. Oh my gosh! Say with... that again. Say that again, <laughs> Jessica. That's like noteworthy. And I know there are people like slamming their cars in the park right now <laughs> because this is huge. So behaviors, those behaviors are a problem for us as adults, but those behaviors are a solution for a kid who's using that behavior. Yes. Exactly. Okay. They are a solution to a problem. Um, and they're benefiting in some way, they're getting something out of engaging in this behavior. Um, and so it's up to us as the adults working with that kid to kind of be detectives, kind of like we are on the show when we're talking about, you know, language problems or anything else to kind of just analyze sure. and figure out what we can do to um, get through that and help the child to make progress in therapy. So what I'm going to talk about is I'm going to talk about ABC data collection, which is something that's used in ABA um, to track a behavior of concern. So normally what I have people do um, when I'm trying to teach or when I'm trying to, you know, have a parent or another therapist or a um, teacher track a behavior is I say just get out a simple piece of paper and then we're going to put three columns on that piece of paper. The first column okay. is going to be A. <laughs> the first column is going to be A. The I'm doing it right now. Be... I'm making my chart, and I know other people are doing <laughs> okay. it, so keep on. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, first column is A. Second column will be B. And then the third column okay. will be C. So, A, hence the okay. A, B, C. Now, in that center column okay. there with the B, the B is going to be behavior. So, whatever the okay. specific behavior is that you're concerned about, let's say it's running away or it's um, hitting or um, tantrums or whatever the case may be, that's where that's going to go. The A stands for antecedent, and antecedent just means, it's a fancy word, but all that means is just what came before the behavior of concern, what happened immediately before the child engaged in the behavior. And then in the C column, right after the behavior, is um, the C stands for consequence. And so in that Mm -hmm. column, you're just going to write what was the consequence of the behavior? What happened immediately after the child engaged in the behavior of concern? So um, with, yes, does that make sense? (laughs) Yes, totally. Okay, great. So normally what um, you would do is you're just going to take that piece of paper and over the next few days, if you're a parent at home or a teacher, Um, or, you know, next few weeks, if you're someone that sees a kid on a weekly basis, you're just, every time the child engages in the behavior, you're just going to write some notes on this page. You're just going to write the notes. You're going to say, okay, what happened right before he did it? What did he do? And then Mm -hmm. how did we react? What happened right afterwards? Now, um, it's important to remember that sometimes when we first kind of start paying attention to how we respond or what happens right after the behavior, we kind of start to 
sometimes think about changing our consequence a little bit. So like some common examples would be, well, normally when he does this, I just give him the cookie anyway, or normally I kind of allow him to not clean up. But now is not really the time for judgment. (laughs) It's just the time when no one's judging. It's just, yeah, we're just trying to determine what the natural patterns have been that may have led to this pattern of behavior that the child now has. So you're just trying to react in the, you know, the most natural way that you normally do when you're doing this. Yeah. yeah, and I'll tell you something that happens with me, too. When I've used this or really thought about it or thought, and this is, and I, again, I'm just going to kind of keep it real here. A lot of times, and we talked about this before the show, we use this, again, for when we know, okay, this kid is doing something and he just keeps doing it and it's so disruptive and I can't figure it out and I don't know what's going on and I've got to tease through this and figure out what's going on so I can change it. But sometimes this is when it's been the most helpful for me. It's when I've done what I really think is my best effort at addressing whatever it is that's happening, but I still, again, don't have an explanation, and I feel like I need to take a look back at me. So sometimes this chart or this method has been so helpful to see what am I doing right before this behavior happens. And so sometimes people get, like you're talking about the consequence. We want to change the consequence with, okay, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I normally just give in, but I don't want to write that. Or, or again, you start trying to kind of tweak things as you're charting and that's not what this is about. But I've done the same thing with antecedents with what I'm doing before. And that's why it's been so helpful for me because I've realized, oh my goodness, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big part of this. When I haven't always been mm-hmm. inside that, so that that's real eye opening for me. Right, and it's it's really just about identifying what is going on so that we can help the child. So I mean, yeah, right. there's never any judgment. It's just figuring out what those patterns yeah. are exactly. So after well, really, we, what um, you're doing is collect. Hang on one second. Really, what you're doing is okay. collecting facts. So you just want to put your facts in there, <laughs> exactly what exactly. happened, not what you think happened. You're not going to write. He was hungry under antecedent. You're not going to write anything like that. You're going to write <laughs> demonstrable <laughs> things you see, not assumptions and not interpretations, because that can get us in a lot of trouble, too. Now, see, as an ABA therapist, you may not think like this, Jessica. You may be a lot more tuned into that's not a behavior. That's just something you've interpreted here. But let me tell you, speech pathologists, OTs, we are masters at <laughs> projecting <laughs> or interpreting before we even have good data about this. So I want to warn people to be so careful about filling in that kind of information, too. We are just looking for behavior here, not an interpretation. Right, exactly. So, um we are, that's what we, exactly, in ABA, we are focused on what is measurable and what's observable, so we're definitely always just going to write, not, we're not going to be focused on mental attributes or things that we can't directly observe, it's going to just be exactly what we see with our eyes without interpreting it, and um, this chart later on will help you more objectively interpret things, exactly. Yes. So, after you have, um, (laughs) yeah, so exactly. So after you've done, um, I would say, I mean, it depends on how often the behavior, you know, is occurring. You might get 50 entries right away, you know, in some cases, yeah. or you might have about, yeah, or you might have about five, but usually after you have a good number of entries, um, 
on your sheet. The next thing that I kind of like to do is, um, and I actually have checklists that I use, but I'll just um, say what I normally do is I would have the people group the antecedents into the common categories. And so these are the lists. Okay. This is a list of common categories that I have on my checklist that I use. So the first one is, and I'll probably send this to you, Laura, so you can put it in the post. I would people, love it. But, um, I would love it. Yeah. Now, is this your own form, Jessica, or did you find this somewhere? Um, this is the one that I, um, I mean, I've used all kinds of different ABC forms, but this is the best one that right. I, yeah, we just take this right awesome. into the home um, and we awesome. say, okay, because us as ABA people, we kind of, we kind of immediately group things into our head. We say, okay, that was denied access. I'm going to check that. Okay, the consequence. Yeah. Oh, we blocked it, or we ignore. We kind of have that in our head, so we just check it right. off That's on a just check. jargon. Box. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But for others, um, you know, we can just group it into categories after the fact. So the first one that right. is a common antecedent is denied access. And so okay. what denied access means is that it just means exactly what it sounds like. The child was denied. He was not granted access to something. So in real life, this might look like you told him he could not have the cocoa puffs on the cereal aisle or mm -hmm. you um, did not grant him access to the toy. Um, so, um, things like that. Does that, is that, does that okay. make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So that's the first one denied access. The second one, the second common category is demand. So a demand, um, and it sounds so strict and, and, um, <laughs> You know, but really anything, demand just means anytime you ask the child to do anything. So let's say um, you ask him to clean up, you place a demand mm -hmm. to clean up, or you place a demand for him to wash his hands. Is anytime you ask something of the child, we're going to mm -hmm. consider that a to be a demand. Yes, a request. So we're going to consider yeah. that to be a demand. So, okay. yeah, so you can group those into your antecedents into either denied access, demand. The next one that's very common is um, attention diverted from the client. So um, all that means is that you were paying attention to something else. So normally in practice what this normally looks like is you're talking to mom <laughs> during session right. or something. You're exactly. suddenly start talking to mom. Or as a parent, maybe you get on the telephone or somebody comes to the door. Right. Um, those are some common examples of attention diverted from the client. Um, okay. The next one, yeah, attention diverted from client. That was number three. The mm -hmm. fourth common category that um, we see is engaged in a task. So that just means okay. the child is playing or engaging with something. So maybe he's playing a toy with you. Maybe he's playing a toy by himself. He's engaged in something with you in a task. Okay. The next common category, number five, is not engaged in a task. So this okay. might mean the child is just walking around the room. <laughs> you know, he's just walking yeah. around and not particularly engaged in anything. And that okay. would be, yes, number five. Okay. Yes, there's two more. So number six, we put I put transition um, because so most of us in ABA we tend to work with children on the autism spectrum, and transition right. um, are a big antecedent mm -hmm. um, that tends to cause a lot of behaviors for our kids. So that's why we commonly put that on there. But I think for any kid, 
um, you know, a transition is a common antecedent. So I put that on my checklist. So a transition, all that means is that you are moving from one activity or from one place to another. So that's um, what a transition would look like. And then the final category is just other. So anything that doesn't fit within those categories. But most things right. will usually fit within those things. So those are all the yeah, I can totally, how we group them. Yeah, I can see that. And uh, I can see how helpful it is to go ahead and have some categories. You know, and when I've just used this method informally, I've either gotten the forms that I've just Googled and gotten or just thought in the dire straits of the moment with, oh, my gosh, let me just write this down. So it's so helpful to have categories already kind of pre-selected like that because then it's not hard to group them and not hard to categorize what's going on because you can probably see pretty quickly uh, things that sort of trigger or again things that come first so yeah yes good yeah so that's why um, I like it when we have the checklist like this it's it's super helpful most most places most ABA agencies will use checklists like that with the category so that's the A and then for B um, again it's just a specific behavior so I mean, you, as the, you know, person that's kind of tracking this behavior on your own, you kind of know what the behavior is, but um, sometimes if it's like a new behavior or something, we really try to describe the behavior in observable and measurable terms. So instead of writing, you know, hit self and head, sometimes we might be really specific and say hit self and head with open hand or versus like closed fist. I mean, we get really specific, but for you as somebody just doing it at home, you can just write, okay, he you know, he hit himself or he tantrumed or he, whatever the specific behavior is that you're interested in tracking. So that's all you do in column B. And then for column C. Let me ask you one, let me insert a question here, Jessica. So really you're just looking at one behavior at a time. You're not tracking 10 different behaviors on the same form and looking at all these kinds of things. You're really just trying to be specific about one behavior at a time. Exactly. We're really trying to, um, yeah, especially, yeah, we're just trying to do one at a time. Um, Sorry. So what I meant was, yeah, that we try to just really be specific about what the behavior looks like. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But if you already kind of know and you're, you know, then we'll just write, you know, oh, he, he ran away or whatever the case may be. So just whatever the behavior is, and that's all you write in column B. And then in column C, we're going to do the same exact thing where we, what we did in column A, where we are going to group um, the consequences into categories. So I'm going to go ahead and give the common categories that we use for um, awesome. the consequences. Yes. Awesome. So the first one is access. Yes. <laughs> so this is kind of <laughs> a little bit longer, but not too much. So the first one is access granted. And that's exactly what it sounds okay. like. So it means you gave him the cocoa puffs or he somehow gained mm-hmm. access to something. He okay. ran into the kitchen and he got a freak or there was something that okay. he got. He got okay. something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Number two is denial kept. So you, we continued to deny access. So we did not give in and give him the cookie or okay. give him something. The denial was kept. That's the second one. So the third one is demand kept original. So that just means that um, if we ask the child to do something like clean up and he or she engaged in a particular behavior, we followed through with our demand. We required that the child completed the task, 
that we requested for him or her mm-hmm. to do. So we followed through with our request. Does that make sense? Okay. Yes, totally. Okay. <laughs> and then the fourth one is demand change. So this just means, and this is a little bit tricky, it means um, that we obviously we changed our, it can mean that we just didn't follow through with our request at all. We just stopped and we just allowed the child to not do what we requested him to do. Or it could mean that we kind of lessened our demand. So let's say, for example, you ask the child to clean up 10 toys. He displayed a behavior, and so we had him clean up one toy instead. That still counts as demand change. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and a lot of people get so freaked out about that. Like, as an adult, you can't change your demand. But I tell you, I can't get through a single session when a kid is giving me a lot of behaviors and not changing the demand because my natural thing is if if this is going haywire like this this is too hard something about this is not working out for this child and so I'm just inserting that and then we'll get to all this in a minute but I just want to I don't want parents to be really rigid when you're listening to this and thinking that you are already saying never change your demand you are not saying that at all we are just charting behavior Yeah, we're just charting behavior. And that's um, where, I mean, I always like to say, don't place a demand unless, you know, you think that, you know, we don't want to place unrealistic demands or place a demand when we know that a child is probably not capable of following through or capable of completing the request. Because that's exactly, then we are kind of setting the stage for possibly if it happens right after a behavior that a child engages in kind of some escape behaviors, but um, we'll get to that in a second. So next is attention. Yeah. So the next thing is attention provided. So this is tricky because what we kind of view as attention, I mean, there are some kids out there where um, even just so much as you giving them eye contact is enough. So for some kids, attention can, it can take all kinds of different forms. It can be verbal attention. It could be you, um, it could be a verbal reprimand. It could be you saying, don't do that. Stop doing that. Stop eating the Play-Doh. Mm-hmm. That could be attention. Or it could be you, um, you know, coming over and tickling the child, for example. Or it could be um, you even just giving them eye contact. Okay. Um, so that that is attention. And honestly, when I heard Kendra's um, podcast about the little girl that was running away, that was honestly what came into my mind when she said, I'm not providing any attention. What I was thinking in my head was, hmm, are we sure? Because sometimes we think we're not providing attention when sometimes we are. If we're just looking at the kids, sometimes that's enough. So that can be tricky. Right. Attention. That yeah. would be totally tricky for me because I, I can totally see that. And I think that sometimes we think attention as it, we're either, again, we're looking at degrees with, well, I didn't look at her very much, or we go positive or negative. Like you, you gave some really descriptive words. The reprimand there is the whole, you know, don't do that or whatever. But even just scooping a kid up or a pat on the leg or something that you don't even think, you didn't even talk to them, but that's still attention. So, yeah, I get it. Yeah, so attention can be a tricky one. Um, so really pay attention to your react, your, just how you naturally react when you're doing this. Okay. And then um, the last one that is a common one is um, ignored. So you just ignored um, the behavior. Okay. And um, then there's other 
and I have some other ones, but those are really the main ones. So anything else kind of falls onto other, and it'd be, and then you can just specifically say what happened immediately after. Okay. So that's what we do. Okay. Good. <laughs> so after you've got that all figured out, <laughs> the next thing, um, usually by now, after you've kind of done this five or more times, you usually, some patterns have usually started to emerge from what you're looking okay. at, right? Okay. So usually mm-hmm. you kind of notice, hmm, okay, I place a demand. He throws it, you know, he throws something and then the demand has changed. I mean, usually there's kind of a pattern that kind of will start to emerge from the data at this okay. point. But um, okay. a couple of things I want to point out. And the first thing is that it's very possible for a behavior that a kid has to serve what we call a dual function. So that just means the behavior might have more than one function. So a child might okay. be doing something for more than one reason. That um, can sometimes happen. Another thing that can sometimes happen is the child can use the same behavior for multiple situations. So in one situation, okay. um, I think this happened on Kendra's podcast, actually. The, girl, the little girl was running in one situation for one thing, but then she used the same behavior, the running in another situation. Um, it was the same behavior, but it was different. It was a different purpose. Right. Does that make sense? So that yes, totally does. Hey, can we talk about that? Just let's just review those functions of behavior or reasons of behavior. We run through that, Jessica, what you used for that, just as a refresher. Oh, yes, exactly. So that was what we were going to do next. So now um, I'm going to talk about the four functions of behavior. Um, So those are two things to keep in mind. Um, The last thing to kind of keep in mind is let's say you're doing this, and sometimes it happens where people say, there's no pattern here. I do not see a pattern in the data. So two things to keep in mind with that. The first thing is, are you sure, um, and I love how you talk about sometimes on the podcast, and this is not to, to you know, to slam anyone, but you know how sometimes you talk about speech samples when you'll have a parent um, kind of tell you how many words does a kid have, and they'll say the kid has 100 words, but you've never heard those words. Right. You know how you say that sometimes? So it's kind of like that. Totally, yeah. Yeah. So sometimes it's helpful. I mean, sometimes when we're talking about ourselves, our own kid, we have a hard time being super, super objective, and that's not to slam anyone, but that's just kind of how it is. So if you're not seeing a pattern, sometimes it's helpful to have somebody else, like maybe your husband or another teacher or the aide in the class or the -hmm. parent, if you're a therapist going into a home, kind of do this for you and compare and see if you're seeing the Mm -hmm. same thing. The other thing to keep in mind is um, biological factors. So another thing that kind of happens is if you see data that's kind of all over the map or there there isn't a real clear pattern that's coming from the data, usually... um, Yes, this might mean, are you doing this during a time when the child is sick? Has, is the child have a cold right now? Um, has there been, right. for older children, has there been a medication change? Is there something, some variable, some new variable okay. that's kind of been thrown in there? So if that's the case, okay. just address those factors and then redo this again. Um, okay. A really common one I want to mention is hunger. <laughs> I mean, I know you said yeah. we don't focus. I mean, we do not. Um, that uh, hunger is not observable. You know, it's not something we're going to write right. on there because we don't know for sure. But I can't tell you, I have worked with so many families, um, especially with toddlers, um, where, you know, the parents, and I'm not blaming anyone, but parents might have um, a kid on more of an adult-like eating schedule, so they're only eating every, right. 
you know, six hours or so. And for some, for, for any toddler, that's too long. So, you know, sometimes we have to kind of pay attention to things like that too, that hunger is actually the most common um, biological factor that I've seen a lot of. And so that's something to kind of keep in mind too, um, to kind of address those things and then redo this if you're not seeing patterns. Okay. So now I'm going to go ahead you know, and move let me on just, to the let me, let me say, let me say one other thing really quickly. That is why I started when I knew nothing other than Larmides fresh out of grad school. Uh, somehow I'm going to start to see children here. That I started feeding kids right away because that was such a common sense kind of thing with me. With kids, a lot of times, especially kids with developmental delays, they are not communicating <laughs> these really basic <laughs> needs. And that is such a good point. A lot of times, too, parents will not cancel therapy sessions when children are really too sick for, to do much of anything else. And I know a lot of therapists mm-hmm. will say, no, I want to see them when they're sick because they've got to cope and they've got to communicate and got to do all these other things. And I, some, I, I take a different approach with that. Well, you know, my time, I want to be here at the most effective time. So if he has a 102-degree fever, we're not having a speech today. You know, so that kind of thing, too, those biological factors are a big deal. And so we do have to think about that. And I love how you're saying we're not slamming parents here, but there are some parents who have really good natural instincts about children and somehow seem to know how to nurture and care and parent children just right off the bat instinctively. And there are some of us who are horribly mismatched to take care of children who have really, really intense needs that differ from what we think that expectation should be. And so sometimes our job as therapists and interventionists to see these families is just to really help parents get more in tune with those things. And so certainly a chart can help. And like you said, you know, even talking about things like, hey, when's the last time he ate? Ooh, you know, four hours, that's probably too long for him. Let's look at, you know, maybe an hour and a half or two hours and see if we can't get a snack in here and improve everybody's mood. And even saying things in that kind of simple layman's, you know, mom to mom here, that that can go a long, long way. So I wanted just to kind of interject that. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I've even seen it where when we're tracking like progress with skills, for example, we'll see scores that are totally, I mean, in ABA, we see kids all day. Usually they have a whole team. They have a a lot of people coming in. So we'll see where the scores in the morning are significantly different and so much lower than the scores in the afternoon. And we're trying to figure out what is going on here. And then we find out that the kid usually doesn't eat breakfast until 11 and we get there yeah. at eight. <laughs> yeah. So like That's that. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Good deal. All right. Okay, great. So we're going to go on to the four functions of behavior. And I know you sent out a post about this. I'm just, um, but I'll review it really quick. So the acronym sure. that yeah. we use is SEAT. S-E-A-T. Um, So the S in that stands for sensory, the E stands for escape, the A stands for attention, and the T stands for tangible. So those are the four basic functions of behavior, and um, those are the ones that we are going to be – so basically we're looking at our chart, we're looking at the patterns, and we're trying to figure out which of those functions does this child's um, behavior or the consequence and um, what, which of those categories does 
what we're seeing kind of fall into. And I'll give a brief description of each one. I'm going to save sensory for last because that one's sometimes hard, harder to understand. So I'm going to start with E, which is escape. So what escape means mm-hmm. is it just means um, that the child, for lack of a better word, or he got out of something. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, for some reason he, he got out of something. So, you know, you asked him, for some reason he got out of a, a demand. That would, be the most com- uh, that would be the most common example of escape. So the next one is A, which is attention. Attention just means that um, an attention-seeking behaviors can be, <laughs> they can be really complicated. I mean, things that you wouldn't yeah. even think after you do this, you realize, oh, this is attention. Um, so this is one of those, sometimes it's an aha moment with this Um, so what you really want to look for is consequences so if every time he eats the play-doh you're saying now don't do that you don't eat the play-doh and then in some cases you'll notice he might even start eating the play-doh more and looking at you I mean those are looking at you yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) so those are um you know that's attention so it's just anytime you notice that the consequence or the benefit, that's what we're really looking at. What is the benefit that the child is getting from doing this? What happens right after right. he does it most of the time? Okay. So if it's attention, yeah. then it probably is attention. Next is T, which is tangible. So that just means um, that he got something tangible. Tangible means um, something, you know, something you can hold. It's tangible. So the child gained access to some item. It might be right. a food item. It might be a toy. It might be an activity. That's tangible. So did the child, is the child consistently gaining access to something after displaying the behavior? So the last one is the um, S, which is sensory. And so this one is a little bit harder to understand. Um, so what this means, and I think you've talked about it on the show, is it just means um, that the child is engaging in this behavior for sensory reasons. And what that means is that there is something automatically reinforcing so it's automatically rewarding to the child in his or her body when he or she engages in whatever the behavior may be so the way to know for sure here's the the way the way that i think about it how to know for sure if the behavior is truly sensory is to think about in a vacuum if the child was in a vacuum and or in a room and no one else was there there were no toys there was no other variables there would he or she still engage in the behavior would he okay. still do it? And if that's the case, then that's how you know that that's sensory. And that's actually what they do. Um, there are more complex assessments that can be done on behavior. Um, one of them is called a functional analysis, and that's actually part of mm-hmm. what they do to see if behavior is truly sensory is we kind of see, okay, in that, with that condition, when the kid is, you know, no other variable is just by himself, right. does he still do it? And if, the, and if yeah. yes, then that's how we know that it's truly sensory. So um, those are the four functions. Is that, does that explanation sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. With sensory, always, this is how I tell parents all the time about sensory. Is they do it a lot, usually. It's not usually just something they've seen one time. It's something that they, a lot of times parents associate it with the child, like thumb sucking or like rocking or even something like flicking the door stopper, the, you know, they like mm-hmm. the effect that it's produced internally. So they like how it feels 
It might be something like eye blinking where you think, why in the world? And you try to look for all these external factors when really it's intrinsic or it's internal. So that's sometimes some terminology that helps parents understand it a little bit better. And therapists too. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I like that you say that because I, I never really thought about that before, but it's true. Frequently the sensory, the behaviors that tend out to be sensory, those are the ones, yeah, that you see at like 65 times per session or something like that. A lot right. of the time it is something that's happening <laughs> yeah, a is. lot. It yeah. Right. And especially so, okay. when we're in therapy with that whole demand piece, with the whole request piece, we're constantly in speech therapy or Whatever you're working on, you're asking them to do things that are overwhelming and overstimulating. And so lots of times these behaviors do end up sensory, falling into that category because that's their natural reaction to that. But anyway, I mean, we could talk about that for days and days and days. Let's move on. (laughs) Right. So that's that. Um, So, yeah, so exactly. So what you do is you're just going to look at your chart. And um, you're going to figure out which of these functions um, do you think the behaviors fall under. So I'll give some common examples. Okay, so for escape, let's say that you notice that it's every time you place a demand, um, the child engages in the behavior, and then the consequence is, you know, we change the demand or, um, you know, the demand is removed. So that or anything is removed. So that would be a common example of escape. Um, Right. Attention would be um, just, you know, well, commonly I've seen a lot of running away for attention. I love how that we we mentioned that on, I think, Kendra's podcast, that there's a lot of that, too, Mm -hmm. where a kid might run away and you think he's doing it because he was trying to get away away from you or escape from a task. But in some cases, it might be attention. So it's really helpful to look at the consequences and what is happening after each and every incidence of the behavior. Okay, so right. um, do, you, do we have time, Laura, to talk about some sure. things you can do once you? Okay. Yes, that's so the most helpful part. This, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. So after you've done all this and you kind of now have a better roadmap for um, what you think the behavior, the uh, hypothesis as to why the child might be engaging in the behavior, what do you do? So what um, in ABA, what they do is they develop something called a behavior intervention plan. So, and what that is, Uh is it'll be a really specific, um, you know, paper or plan that'll really say, okay, this is how we're going to respond to this child's behavior. But really that whole process, the whole goal of that is these two things. Basically, we want to stop providing the benefit or the consequence that, the child is getting from engaging in the behavior. So, for example, if the child is engaging in the behavior for tangible reasons, what are you going to do? Not give We're going what to. you're getting. Yeah. Yes. So we want to change stop. the consequence. <laughs> yes. It's just stop right. providing the benefit. But right. here's where we <laughs> screw it up all the time. You can't only do that. In addition to that, we kind of have to look, we have to look at what we call, we call it functionally equivalent replacement behaviors, which is just a fancy way of saying we want to give that kid a more appropriate way to get that need met. So those are the two things that we really are trying to achieve when we come in with like a fancy behavior plan or something. So if you're trying to do this at home, that's all you're going to do is you're just going to stop providing the benefit. So let's say the child is doing something for, um, Attention. What do you think you're going to do mm-hmm. to stop providing the benefit when he engages in this behavior? 
you're not going to give the attention. You're not going to do what you were doing. Whatever your attention, whatever you did, you're, you're going to change that with something else. Right. So we're going to ignore, we're going to ignore. And then, but here's the thing. If the kid is is engaging in a behavior that is dangerous or if it's like aggression Mm -hmm. or something like that, what we're going to do is we're going to still keep everyone safe. So it's not like we're just going to, Oh, he's, you know, we're going to just ignore that. No, what we do is we're going to block, but you try to do the, um, so let's say he's trying to hit his sister. He's trying to hit you or something. And that's the attention seeking behavior. What we would Mm -hmm. do is we would just block that. But we're not going to provide okay. eye contact. We're not going to provide attention. We're not going to react in any way to that behavior. So that's You're not going to say, would... I've told you 1,000 times to stop hitting, hitting hurts. We don't hit our friend. You don't go into any of that. You're just exactly <laughs> doing yes. the physical stoppage. <laughs> You're just not letting that happen without those Exactly. Other Exactly. And if it's tangible, like you said, you just, we're not going to give the act, we're not going to grant access. So if he is screaming for the cocoa puffs, we're not going to give him the cocoa puffs. Um, Escape. um, I know this is tricky because you already kind of brought this up, but yeah, um, strictly if we're talking about it from the behavioral perspective, we are going to just, we're going to follow through with our demand. So if we know though that a kid, if we're kind of noticing that that's making our kid like you said, go haywire, then we might want to start mm-hmm. thinking about the demands that we're placing. Do we, can, we can look at our antecedents. Right. Do we notice right. that every time we ask him to clean up 30 toys that he loses it? It could be that that is too difficult of a demand. So we might want to change right. our antecedents. Yeah, so right. that's that. Right. Sensory. So sensory behaviors are a lot harder to change because um, the child is doing this it's not dependent on anyone else. The part of the behavior that is rewarding is intrinsic, like you said. So those are harder right. to change. Um, frequently, um, there are things you can do. Like, for example, if you, we find that a child is um, flicking fingers in front of his or her face or, um, you know, flapping hands or something for, and we find out that that's a sensory-seeking thing, we can give them different things to do, like maybe squeeze a ball with our hands or something like right. that. So there are definitely things that you can do. Um, but sometimes, honestly, you might need, like, an OT or somebody that's really, if it gets really complex, but that, that's kind of how you would treat that. So, um, you know, you let me just, let me say one more thing right here, Jessica, because it's so important. Mm-hmm. And, and you said it, but I just want to reiterate how beautifully you said it. When a kid has a need, we just have to, we're not extinguishing the need. We have to still, the need is still there, even if we don't like what the behavior is that internal need doesn't go away just because we say stop cut it out or because we do a fancy charge we've got to replace (laughs) it we've got to still meet that need or somehow change that because other you're still you're going to be completely ineffective with with Mm -hmm. doing it and that's why ABA is so misunderstood because a lot of people really think it's only about extinguishing behaviors but really you're just channeling that in a different way so that a kid still is meeting that need, but, again, it's more appropriate. So I, I want to just be sure that parents and therapists who aren't as familiar with this don't miss that. The need is still there. We've got to figure out another way for that kid to be able to get that same whatever he's seeking. 
Exactly. So um, that, and that's where, I mean, sometimes we screw it up in ABA too, where we're just so focused on, we're just going to stop providing the benefit, but no, and because frequently what happens, what you do that when you do that is another behavior pops up in its place. Right. So the child is doing this for escape. We got rid of that. And now, Oh, we got another escape behavior on our hands. So it's you really got whack-a-mole. It's, <laughs> you know, yeah, you've got exactly. whack-a-mole. Okay. He's not hitting me anymore, but now he's biting or he's not, you know, he he wasn't, yeah. he's throwing a tantrum, but now he's running away, you know, so you've still got to look at what that need piece is. It's not always about stopping the behavior. I mean, it is, but it's not. You've got to think but about we're gonna, that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're stopping the behavior at the same time as we are teaching a more socially appropriate way to get that need met. So if we have a kid that's right. escaping... We might teach um, a common way that we respond to that is asking for a break. Or if, if you have a kid that's not verbal, I mean, we could do that with pecs or with something else, just in some way having that child be able to ask for a break. Or we might, we might build our breaks in more frequently as in like an antecedent strategy is something we're doing before that. Or we might change our demands. Um, right. For a, and that's yeah. what happens with toddlers a lot because parents will say, they're, you know, I've worked with – families that let me just let me just say this without any kind of lots of discussion about it if it communicate really basic wants and needs he's not going to be able to look at you and say i need a break or even right give you a picture that is a that is a really more abstract concept that a lot of times folks in birth to three the parent is and the adult the therapists are going to have to determine oh this is what this is i've got to offer these breaks more frequently and that's why social games work so well or movement activities because that's your break you're stopping whatever your one-on-one sit-down communication play whatever you're working on you stop that and then you do something different and that's that's your break that's your escape that's how we're helping them with that but that that at the for a lot of kids it's it's too hard for them to be able to initiate that kind of request with an adult. Right. Yeah. So we have to build it in. It's going to be kid specific. It's going to be based on um, what we know that the kid can do. And let me just say, I work with kids from all ages. So I, you know, um, I've got had a lot of older kids um, where we know they're capable of asking for a break. And so that's what we're going to be teaching. But yeah, if you have a younger one and we know that that's not, something that we expect them to be able to do, then, yeah, we're going to alter ourselves and alter the antecedents and say, okay, rather than the consequences and say, okay, I'm going to build more breaks into session or we're going to play more social games or more movement activities, things like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, Jessica, (laughs) I think this has been awesome. And I think that we have, I think we just have been disconnected from the show (laughs) Uh, on my end. It looks like it's, saying that we're not on the air anymore and I'm not completely sure what's happened because this has never happened in 10 years of the show so (laughs) let's wrap it up in case nobody is even hearing us but in case they are we'll talk about it like this but would you could you come back in say three or four weeks and let's continue this topic because I think we have a lot more to talk about with this (laughs) um yeah sure I mean is there anything (laughs) specific that um you you think we should go into more detail you know i here's what i want to do i want to get some really specific scenarios and then have you kind of look at that with with some real kid things that people have sent in and just kind of a problem solving sort of an idea show and again it's sort it's 
it'll be th- a little bit more theoretical than we would like from a practical standpoint. But I think it, I think it would be fascinating to take another look and just um, see what happens with that. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So we'll um, and I think that yeah. would be great. Yeah, I think it'd be great. People could, um, yeah, exactly. Because I mean, this is a, I mean, this happens to me all the time where you go and do a training and you kind of learn something new and then you go out in the real world and it's like, well, wait, <laughs> you know, applying the yeah, theory to what's actually it. happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's give some examples. So, but this yeah. is, yeah, I would love that. So I'm going to email you after the show. We're going to go ahead right now and end the show because I don't even think we're recording, but just in case we are. Thanks, everybody, for listening today, and I will follow up with you, Jessica, and we will get scheduled. The music's playing, so we probably are still on, so good. I'm glad we got that last little minute. (laughs) Okay. Thanks, Laura. Sorry. You were awesome. Thank you.